I don't know this person actually well enough to want to be with them. And I have all these chemicals and I'm, and then the, and then the NRA wears off and then I don't really like them at all. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather be relating with somebody I know I like and I know I want to spend time with already. But then once I'm friends with somebody, I have, te- I'm changing this now, but I have tended not to try and initiate anything after friendship is established. Um, so, yeah. See, sometimes I feel that way, but I thought that that was just me being jaded. <laughs> <laughs> if you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out of the box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're doing another live call-in show with our audience where people can either submit questions by joining us on the call or they can write in their questions and submit those. If you want to do that, you need to be a patron and go to our Get Vocal room for this live episode that's happening right now. Um, And yeah, so like even for people who aren't comfortable with having their voice on the air or maybe just stage fright or something like that, you can still ask a question um, and we'll read that there. Or you can just tune in and watch on YouTube Live or Facebook Live. So hello to everyone out there who's watching. Hi there. Hi, everybody. Yeah. Um, All right. So with that, um, let's just jump right in. Let's jump right into the first question. Yeah, we have a first question from Calvin. Uh, Calvin said that they would say this on the show. However, I don't believe they're here at the moment, which is totally fine. (laughs) No problem. I will just say it for them. All right. Playing the part of Calvin today. Exactly. Emily. Emily. Here I am. Okay. My wife and I opened up to the swinging lifestyle about seven years ago. Although we've enjoyed sex with others, ultimately we discovered it was the deep emotional bonds that we created, that we so craved, and that awesome sex was the cherry on top. Along those lines, she became best friends, platonic, with Alexa, and I promptly fell for Alexa romantically. We jumped into those feelings before discovering your show and The Smart Girl's Guide. Thank you, Jedeker. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And of course, everything blew up in dramatic fashion after that first couple dates, not knowing how to deal with NRE, jealousy over leading to emotional breakdowns. Uh, Through therapy, we've since done a lot of work to clarify our needs and boundaries. She's okay with all three of us being together intimately and also wants to be able to have experiences with just her and Alexa, however, is not okay with me having that. She accepts the idea of non-monogamous romantic love. However, it is not something that she's open to right now or possibly ever. To me, I've thought of this as a deal breaker in our otherwise amazing relationship. Am I crazy for wanting more? How do I reframe this terrible thought that we're incompatible? Ooh, that's, that's a, a big, lot. That's a big one. A yeah. lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about the two of you? Go ahead, because I'm used to you know tackling all this coachy coachy stuff. No, <laughs> I was thinking you start us out. No, no, you, no. Got, you got Please, you got you got this. Yeah, well, I think um, it can be a potential deal breaker. We actually talked about this today, and we have been recording uh, a bunch of episodes today, and they will be coming out in the future. 
but we talked about deal breakers in relationships, and I think that this could be one. It just kind of depends on the sort of relationship you want to have in terms of like what your non-monogamous lifestyle, what you want that to look like. If you want it to be, you know, a one penis or vagina policy, or if you don't, because it kind of potentially sounds like that's along the lines of what's occurring here. And if that's okay with you, then that's something to address and to move forward with. But if it's not, then that's also something that I think you have to look at. Uh, Because it sounds like, yeah, everything is okay with potentially you like being romantically involved with one another at the same time. But in terms of having like specific emotional interactions or physical interactions with each other separately, that's maybe not okay. And yeah, I, I mean, I would encourage them to examine why and for you to ask a lot of questions regarding that and to maybe move through that together. But I don't know if they're actually going to change their minds regarding that. Yeah, it's also one of those things where maybe over time, mm-hmm. maybe over time they will change their mind about that, assuming that they're you know, assuming that she's willing to do that, that she is putting in that work. Is she right? Was the right pronoun? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So assuming that she is willing to do that work and is being proactive about continuing that, that might change over time, but it's not going to happen immediately. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. And I think that is a real serious question to ask yourself of, is this something I'm okay with for now? Yeah. Um, and that's not something that I feel like sometimes people ask these sorts of questions looking for a, like, tell me what the right answer is mm-hmm. or tell me what's normal so I can decide to just do that or not. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it's, I mean, fortunately slash unfortunately, it's a little more complicated than that. It's more about what is, what does this mean for you? Is that okay with you or is it, if, is it not? And if it's not, that's, that's also okay. What you do with that answer of it's not okay with me, that's a second question, right? Does that that mean ending all of the relationships? Does it mean let's not be open for now until we can get this figured out? I don't know. I'm also interested in what the third person wants here. Of course. Because that that hasn't seemed to be maybe asked within the confines of this question. But I do wonder like where their head is at. That is kind of the missing voice here. Correct. What does this third person actually want out of all of this? Do they want all of this? Do they want part of this? Stuff like that. Uh, Well, I would want to start with like maybe a slightly more compassionate approach to the question, just in the sense that sometimes this happens where before we've gotten all our ducks in a row and before we figured out exactly what flavor of non-monogamy we Mm. want or exactly how we want it to function, sometimes you end up in a situation. You know, it happens all the time where people are like, oh, wow, we, I don't know, like we had this threesome and it was really hot and we really hit it off. And so now I guess we're maybe kind of in this threesome-y, triad-y kind of situation. And we kind of got to figure out as we go along. Um, Stuff like that actually happens pretty commonly where it's kind of like we, um, you know, get thrown into the deep end before we've had a chance to even like look at the the swimming manual was the first thing that came to mind. (laughs) Uh, Because that's how you learn to swim. Yeah, you you have to look at the swimming manual. Goodness. You know the thing that exists. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But that does happen. And so I would say definitely offer yourselves some grace and some compassion for the fact that like, okay, we kind of ended up in this situation maybe before we had a chance to really iron out exactly what we wanted here. Um, However, 
I think that that means there is a good opportunity now to sit down and to have a chat about if we could go back to the beginning and start all this over from scratch, what are the things we'd want to put in place? What are the things that you, Calvin, question asker, would want to advocate for? What are the things that you know that you would want, knowing what you know now? What are the kind of questions you would ask this third person? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really important conversation to have. And again, I think like what Jay said is if the result of that conversation is like, ooh, maybe there's kind of an incompatibility in what it is that we want, you know, then, you know, then from there, then it's figuring out, you know, is there any middle ground? Is there any compromise? Or is it just going to be an incompatibility? Yeah, because it does sound as though the three of them, or rather Alexa and Calvin had some romantic involvement and went on some dates for a while before the whole thing as he said, blew up. So that is kind of an interesting thing in which to have to navigate as well. So, you know, you go on these dates with people, you're excited about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, feelings of another party get involved and they're really harsh feelings or they suck. And so it's like, okay, never mind. I'm going to backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. And I guess I would encourage people just out there listening to also, as Dedeker said, like, examine these feelings before hopefully they happen. I mean, you can't have a contingency plan for everything, but Mm -hmm. if you know, you are starting out with non-monogamy, then really to ask yourself those questions of like, what do I want this to look like? That's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I think I would also just encourage this person that it's like, you've been in the swinging lifestyle, as you say, that's true for seven years. So clearly something's working out, you know, you've, you've been able to negotiate and manage you know, participating in those kind of activities. So I would imagine that you have the capacity as a couple to negotiate new and scary territory because you probably had to do that at the beginning of this whole journey. But so, maybe they've always had to do that together rather than separately. Yeah, and so that separate part is the challenge. I'm trying here. to be encouraging. No, no. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm just trying, I'm trying to, to see build the, them up. See the reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's always the balance though, right? Is the mm-hmm. you do want to to be encouraged and like, know that this is possible and that many people have been in this situation where it seemed like this can't work out. You know, she wants this thing that I'm not okay with. And, you know, we thought it was going to be okay. And then it turned out to not be, Mm -hmm. and then it does end up being okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you Mm -hmm. do end up figuring out, you do end up coming to a place where it's like, okay, I realized there were some things that freaked me out about this that I wasn't ready for, but over time I was able to understand that. I mean, Emily and I had an experience like that totally when we first opened up our relationship years ago, where it was sort of like it all of a sudden wasn't okay, or not even all of a sudden, but just like it never felt quite right. And we had to stop it for a little bit before, you know, there was Delving that back in for real. Yeah. And yeah. then it's, and then it was great. Yeah. So, so yes, that's true. And then on the other hand, like, also be realistic. And sometimes you can hold on to this idea of like, well, I'm going to do something I don't really like because maybe eventually it'll be okay. And I would also caution against that. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like threading that needle in Mm -hmm. in between those two things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So just so people know, we are on YouTube live. We are on Facebook live. I started a watch party in our private Facebook (laughs) group uh, so that I could watch myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's very inception-y. There's many layers deep here. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're interacting with people in the comments there. If you want to join us on the Get Vocal platform, we've posted that link 
in the patron group, right? Yes. For our patrons to participate group, yeah. in the Facebook group. There's also a Facebook event where we've posted the link. We had a little bit of a snafu earlier on with some technical difficulties where had we to had change to change our link. Yeah, we had to create a new link. So um, hopefully you're at the right link. And yeah, do we want to move on to another question? Sure. I'm going to post a link in the, in the discord as well. Okay. Uh, so, but if you're writing in, I'm going to open up our YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel as well. So we can have a sense of what people are saying. Um, Mm -hmm. so you're not just screaming into a void. (laughs) I promise. Should we do a curious poly dude? Can I read that one? Please. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the self-proclaimed curious curious poly poly dude dude. (laughs) has written in saying, how can you really be in practice non-hierarchical? Is it possible to love equally people that you are in relationships for different durations? What do y'all think? I mean, we've talked about equal not being necessarily the goal. Yeah, I but think. Yeah, yeah, that's a big I, one. Yeah, speak to that because it, well, for example, <laughs> you speak to. I'm that. just saying. Yeah, it's simply because both of you are in relationships with each other. And you've been in a relationship with one another for almost six years. And then you're also in relationships with people that haven't been with you as long. But I think Mm -hmm. they're still incredibly important. Maybe like equality isn't exactly the thing here, but you're pretty... Yeah, yeah, in non-hierarchical, you would still call yourselves non-hierarchical. Oh, you're talking about us? Yeah. Oh, okay. I got a little distracted. Yeah, well, I think that that... That question about hierarchy is such an interesting one because I think when people hear non-hierarchy or they hear people say something like relationship anarchy or like, I don't do hierarchy, that the assumption can be that that means all my relationships are exactly equal to me. They all mean the same thing to me, whatever. And I think that that is just not realistic. That's not practical. I don't think that's how people work. Like if you think about your friends or even your family members, maybe you would even argue with your family members, you love them all equally, but you don't love them all the same. Mm. You don't spend necessarily the same amount of time with all of them. Thank you don't. God. <laughs> wow. I mean, that would just be a lot of time if, yeah. you, if you did that. It's like, I got to spend the same amount of time with, you know, my second cousin that I do with my brother, you know, whatever it is like, that's not, that's not realistic. Yeah. And I think people kind of think that non-hierarchy means that. It, it could mean that for you, right? That that might mean really avoiding that. And I think that there's this difference between hierarchy when people talk about, like, I have a primary partner who allows me to have secondary partners or a primary partner who can veto secondary partners or a primary partner who... um you know, if they have a bad day, I'm going to cancel plans with anyone else mm-hmm. just because they had a bad day, something like that, that there's a difference between that type of hierarchy, which is the stuff we tend to speak against and say like, that's not, you know, giving one person power over another relationship that they're not part of um, is not a healthy thing. However, if you want to think about hierarchy, just in terms of like everything in our life is a hierarchy, right. Of like, 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's not about like, well, this needs more important than the other. It's just like, well, maybe this one is more fundamental to your life. Mm. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch with that metaphor. No, I like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I will say this person, I don't know if they intended to do this, but they said specifically about like in practice, how can you be non-hierarchical? And Mm -hmm. so I want to shift a little bit into like the day-to-day, like actual practical considerations for that. For my life, anyway, this isn't necessarily something that works out for everyone's life, but for my life, definitely one of the huge major like practicalities of being non-hierarchical is not choosing to live with just one partner. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, some people do this, some people don't, but for me, it's like I kind of split my time throughout the year. Like I'll live with Jace for a chunk of the year. I'll live with Alex for a chunk of the year. Um, and either it's that split like that or it's like I split between Jace Alex and then also some time by myself or some time traveling or whatever um I'm able to do that because I can live out of a suitcase pretty easily you know and so for me moving locations is not like a big huge upheaval so that doesn't necessarily work for a lot of people but I know for myself that when I do live with someone even if I'm intending to not be very hierarchical like of course like all the practicalities come in it's like the functioning hierarchy comes in of like well I'm living living with this this person exactly and so I do have to run by them hey I'm not coming home tonight or I'm going to be gone for a whole week so you need to feed the cat or whatever it is you know and there's not nothing necessarily wrong with that but I know for me I get a lot of joy out of being able to have that living experience with multiple partners and so that's a big part of it for me um, yeah. 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 I think that, that, um, someone was mentioning in the chat on YouTube, like hitting on that thing of the unhealthy power dynamics being yeah. like, that's, I think when people talk about sort of the evils of hierarchy, that's really what they're referring to. Not the idea that like, well, maybe I share more finances with this person, or maybe I even spend more time with this person, or maybe I do live with this person and not someone else. Like there's a difference there. Yeah. And it's just those, like the ideas that we get in our minds about, well, I live with this person or they're the, my nesting partner or which I guess is the same thing, but yeah, (laughs) they, that essentially means that like they come first above all other people and all other things And that, I guess, is what we're trying to discourage against. Even, you know, for myself, I mean, I am only with one partner. I consider myself monogamous. However, I also consider myself in many ways a relationship anarchist because I do things like I really schedule a specific time with the two of them. I'm with Jason Dedeker a lot, and I think that's a very important part of my life. And I think that not everyone would be okay with that or that would not be everyone's cup of tea like within their hierarchical setting of their lifestyle. Um, I also, you know, call my mother every single day and so she's a huge part of my life and my friends in Tucson are a big part of my life and so I think like even though I have a significant other who I live with, there I still have a bunch of different parts of my life that take up a huge amount of emotional bandwidth and that is maybe different than just the idea that like well I live with a person or I'm with a husband and you know that isolated sort of nuclear family takes precedent over everything else just because mm-hmm. obviously so that's it just uh it can look a variety of different ways absolutely mm-hmm. they can that can all take many different forms because people out there are solo poly and would never ever live with another partner or they really like 
make sure that you know everybody gets equal amounts of time or whatever but i feel like those are the minority though yeah it probably is i don't know i'm not totally sure but yeah absolutely that may not be what most people do but every non-hierarchy can look a, a variety of different ways I think that related to the power dynamics thing, I think sometimes it can be related to how you choose to respond to a partner's needs. Because I think there is a big difference where, let me try to come up with an example. If, you know, my partner Alex is like, hey, I, you know, I would, I would love to see you mm. on my birthday. Like I'd really love to hang out on my birthday. You know, that's really important to me. And if I was like, ah, well... I already made plans with Jace that day and like we had these long standing plans and the thing is that like Jace is my <laughs> my Prime. real primary partner. Uh, yeah. You know, Jace is my primary partner and so that's kind of how I'm really sorry but you know like you are secondary so he kind of like agreed to this when we first started dating so we'll figure out another time to to hang out that's not on your birthday. Um Yeah. It's kind of like using if if that's what's kind of dictating your decision making process with your partners, I think then we're getting into some of the unhealthy power dynamics um, Mm -hmm. versus, you know, I think if I have a partner who comes to me and who can very legitimately be like, hey, I feel like we're not quite getting enough time together. I feel like you're spending a lot of time with your other partners. You know, I'd love to figure that out. If I have the freedom to be like, okay, yeah, let's figure that out. Let's figure out something actionable. Let's figure out getting some more time on the calendar or whatever. Like we can negotiate that together. Yeah. Um, Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I think also just like like the concept of veto is sort of the ultimate summation of that that sort of like I'm giving someone else power over you just because I've labeled them primary. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's that's kind of what it comes down to, and, and yeah. that's like it's not something we would do with a friend. No. And I think or a family member. No, I mean, that, yeah. That's a weird no, one. I don't think so. But it's, so it's just kind of absurd that we would expect someone to just subject themselves to that. Be like, oh yeah, we're going to have this relationship and I want you to be vulnerable to me. But at any time, someone else who's unrelated to this relationship can just end it. No questions asked. That's a problem. Yeah. I'm going to read some of the comments that we've gotten. Oh, please. oh sure, yeah. So on YouTube, it says validity and equality are different. All our relationships are valid, but to have the expectation of them being equal isn't really realistic. Um, also here in the get vocal chat room, we have someone who says that hierarchy seems incompatible with collective decision-making people using other people's preferences instead of stating the agreements as their own boundaries. That totally makes sense. Do we have any comments in the Facebook group? No, just a bunch of people saying hi. Um, (laughs) Hi. Okay. So again, if you just tuned in, we are on YouTube live. If you go to our YouTube channel, you can find the link to that. We're at get vocal. Um, if you're on the Get Vocal platform, you can actually come up on stage and ask your question if you so desire. We've posted a link to our Get Vocal chat in our private patron group and in the event within the private patron group. Or if you are in our patron group, you can join our little watch party that we have going on or just on Facebook Live. You can see it all over the place, <laughs> yeah. basically, is we're what everywhere we're getting today. at. Yeah. Yes. Um, so something... So another person who submitted a question indicated that they would be willing to read it on the air. Now, this person is in the YouTube chat and not in the Get Vocal chat. Mm. And so... Oh, um, I see. So 
This is Todd, T-O-D. Todd, if you're listening, join us in the Git Vocal Chat so that we can invite you up on stage to ask your question. Um, so I'll give a couple minutes um, to see if, if you can rustle up the nerve to do that. If you can't, that's okay. We'll still read it. Um, but you have the, to use Chrome. <laughs> yeah, you have to use Chrome. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, do we want to read another question? Yeah, um, we, actually, also, this... we also have another person in the Git Vocal Room who's been trying to put together a question okay, for a little cool. while. So he might do that Great. at some point yeah. as well. But yeah, um, let's read another one. I like this question that was submitted by John. Joshua, Lord of Syrup, Slayer of Waffles. Love that so That's much. That's a good and name. Jace, you want yeah. to read it? Um, sure, yeah. Um, so this one is, in an ever-increasing cyber-connected rather than interpersonally connected world, what are some of the ways you've been able to maintain connections with loved ones and still maintain self-love and stability emotionally? Hmm. So can I start yeah, with this yeah. one? Yeah, um, there are articles out there and studies that are done about how social media actually makes you like less happy just in general mm. overall. Mm-hmm. And I think even like a lot of influencers and people out there have said like that it is very important to implement a no social media like or a social media blackout for a day, a week, a month, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, that is absolutely true. My partner also uninstalled the Facebook app on his phone, for example. And so he has to, so did I. yeah, exactly. Yeah. He yeah. has to like go, if he wants to go on Facebook, he has to go to the website and it just like, there are a couple extra steps than just like putting it on there immediately or going to Instagram immediately. I'm not great about this. I I really enjoy watching my figure skating videos on Instagram <laughs> and stuff like that. And I like being, uh, you know, seeing what's happening in the multi-amory patron group. And that's very easy for me. So I think it is absolutely a work life or a balance with social media and with your your daily life. But We've talked about things on on the show also, like really trying to be very engaged with your loved one at the moment that you're with them. And we talk mm, about like right. putting away your phone or, you know, having, okay, I'm well, we have 10 minutes right now. Let's, if we need to check emails or we need to do something, let's do that. But then other than those 10 minutes, let's put away our phone or not be plugged in in that way um, and try to be really present with one another. Because, yeah, all of us are very here in our phone as opposed to up and present and engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Jace? I think that for me, actually, I was thinking about this with the phone thing, because it's a lot of us, I feel like when we're bored, it's just like, well, I pull out my phone Mm -hmm. and I flip it open. Mm -hmm. And usually the easiest thing to access is some kind of social media. Yeah. Or it's the thing that's constantly nagging you to be like, Hey, check on me. Hey, check on me. (laughs) And so what I found is actually having something else on my phone to occupy my time with when I have those moments of like, I have a little time to fill. And for me, you know, in the past, sometimes it's been different games or things like that. But, but honestly, like, that's a different kind of engagement that I'm not always looking for. Mm. Um, and also I don't always want to be like looking like I'm playing a game. Yeah. Uh, and so something I've started doing is actually using my phone for studying. So like, for example, I have an app for learning Japanese vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And since, since that's something that I'm working on, so I'll just be guy. like, Oh, I've got some minutes and I'll do this. And it's, you know, I'm kind of typing in my answers and going, and it might look like I'm texting. Probably people assume that's what I'm doing or posting on social media, but I'm actually studying vocab or I have another app for, um, learning, um, 
computer stuff like programming languages and things like that. And so I'm doing a C plus plus course on there and it's like, Oh, I can pull that up and answer a few questions. So it's like a thing I'll do if I'm in a Lyft ride, Mm -hmm. you know, in an Uber, I'll do that instead of just flipping through social media. And then when I do go on social media, it's for a purpose. It's because I want to check on the patron group or it's because I want to send a message to a specific person or I want to see what someone's up to or look at events coming up or something you know, like I have a reason for it because it's not just that time fill. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that for me has made a big difference. And then the other one is just a quick tip for, for Facebook is um, if you like to check Facebook messenger and, and that's oh, yeah. a way that you message people. You this. Yeah. Is to go to messenger.com instead of facebook.com. It's only the messenger part of Facebook. It's like, it looks very similar to the messenger you get on your phone. Um, but it's just that as a standalone thing. And for me, that was a huge game changer to when I'm at work, especially it's like I'm at work, I can have that up and there's no Facebook there. It's just the Facebook messages. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a quick practical tip for you. Yeah. I guess the couple things that come to mind for me, first of all, I would, I would one up you with the time fill thing. Okay. And honestly, these days I love daring myself to be a little bit bored <laughs> like seriously, like when you're in the Uber or you're waiting in line, um, like I love just being like, I'm not going to get out my phone and I'm just going to be because really usually it's like less than 10 minutes, you yeah. know, and after the um, what was it after our like retreat? That I, was yeah, amazing. exactly. And yeah. so, you know, I've done a bunch of meditation retreats where it's completely technology free. The two of these fellows <laughs> um <laughs> Uh fellas uh came along with me and that was definitely a really good detox and it really does teach you that it's like you won't die you know you really won't die you'll feel amazing if you don't look at it for at least 10 minutes you know and so i think sometimes even that of like just the small amounts of time like sitting on the train or sitting in on your commute if you're commuting like in an uber or something like that or when you're waiting for your food to arrive at the restaurant. It's like, there's all these little gaps of time where it's like, really like give yourself that time, you know, dare yourself to be a little bit bored, see what it feels like and realize that you're going to be okay. Um, as far as getting back to the whole like connection thing and maintaining connection with loved ones, but also maintaining your well being. Um, I found for me a couple different things have helped. One of them being, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but like if you're in a long distance relationship or honestly, even if you're not, um, doing more face-to-face via technology, you know? Like Um, FaceTime or... Doing more FaceTime, sending more pictures, sending more pictures just of random stuff throughout your day, Mm. you know, like relying less on the text and more on the visual. Um, I recently got into Marco Polo not too long ago, um, and it's actually pretty fun. And actually what I do like about Marco Polo is that unlike texting, it's not necessarily a constant back and forth. Like... Hmm, I might have little bursts where I'm back going back and forth with someone or I might have, you know, like with my partner, Alex, who's in a drastically different time zone, I can like leave him a video message that he'll get when he wakes up and then he can do the same for me. And it's just this kind of nice being able to see this person's face without it having to be a coordinated video call and also not necessarily being text or interacting over social media or stuff like that. Um, So I think I found that that's what works for me, I suppose. I will say that there are some days where I'm like, if I didn't have a long distance partner, I would throw this thing out the window and not (laughs) touch my phone, you know, and just like cut myself off. But because I do have a long distance partner, it is a very important part of us staying in touch. Yeah. Um, So yeah, there's that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to you want to move on to Todd's question? Yeah. Let me just check and see what people are saying. Um, yes, Marco Polo. There are some questions about Marco Polo. Just yeah. look for it in the App Store. It's basically asynchronous video messaging. Yeah. Um, just makes it super easy to. It's almost like a walkie-talkie, but with video messaging. It's pretty cool, actually. I, you know, I yeah. thought it was super silly. I know, at first. but it's kind of neat. And the first time I did it, I was like, I'm just like talking to myself on a video, and this is weird. I don't know how I feel about this. And then right. I actually got into it, and yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it, especially if you have any kind of long distance partner. It's a good way to get kind of some easy. FaceTime, essentially. Um, Perfect. Oh, and Nancy, Nancy also posted a question. one. Yeah. So Todd did give permission for us to just go ahead okay. and read the question um, without needing to in- invite him up it? on stage. Yeah, why don't you go ahead? Okay, great. Ethical implies intent and long-term positive results. So how does one go about intentionally focusing on family creation in a poly mindset? In context with monogamy, you are seeking a mate for yourself and your children. So how does a poly multiple plan children and the resulting 20 to 30 year investment in costs? Well, yeah. none of us have children, but... But, but I mean, we know lots of people who do, and yes. we know polycules who do. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a great question, and there's not just one answer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something to, to consider, is... Um, I think especially when it comes to sort of the legal and financial aspects of that is um, you do need to figure that out, right? Because if you're, I mean, really, whether you're married or not, um, the the biological parents or the adopted parents or whoever is, you know, legally the guardians of this child are legally responsible for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's an important thing, right? That means that even if things didn't work out with you, there are at least some systems in place to help make sure that everyone is accountable for their part of the child. Whether that for system their actually... Part of their the, arm of the child. Do you mean their part of the child rearing process? Or do you mean their physical part of the child? Because that's Sorry. the way that you said it. <laughs> yes, I realize that. Uh, you know, they're part of the child raising... That's my part of the child. ...financial burden. Yeah. Right? It's like, I'm going to pay for their right arm bionics. Only. Yes. No. Um... Right. There are systems in place. Whether that system always works very well is maybe another question, but there's at least something. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in a polycule situation, there's both that if like things don't work out and this was something that you all worked on, you know, you kind of made this decision as a group and committed that to this as a group. Um, whoever's not actually the legal parent, though, doesn't actually have any legal obligation to the child. And on the other hand, doesn't have legal rights to the child Mm. in terms of being able to visit them or travel abroad with them or, um, you know, take them to the hospital or make Mm. decisions for them if necessary. So there's kind of both of those, which that's maybe a whole legal conversation that we've talked about a little bit on some of our episodes where we've talked with lawyers about kind of the logistics of all that. But I would definitely recommend seeking someone out for like real professional help with Mm. how to set that up legally for more than two people. But if you're just talking sort of emotionally and things about that, um, I I think it really depends on what your situation is. And I would also ask you the question, if kids are important to you, um, what do you need to have in place in order to have those kids? Mm -hmm. And maybe challenge that a little bit. Because I think some people assume it's like, well, 
I mean, people, monogamous people assume if I want to have kids, I have to get married. That's not mm. necessarily true. No. And I think sometimes people assume with polyamory, it's like, well, if I want to have kids, it's got to be with this set established polycule. And maybe that's not true either. Um, maybe that could work for you, but I would just, if this is something that's important to you, I, I think just having to wait for that right blend of people who all want that same thing and want it in the same way is going to be a challenging thing and maybe not something worth waiting for to have those kids. It doesn't mean you can't still seek those partners and try mm -hmm. to build that type of community. Um, but it might not look just one particular way. Right. And I think even outside of the legal considerations, you're also going to have to consider, I guess, the interpersonal considerations of if you and multiple partners want to share parenting responsibilities together you really got to get into the weeds of figuring out what our expectations what that looks like yeah, yeah. how do yeah. we how do we uh, divide up labor how do we feel about discipline do i feel more comfortable if it's like i'm kind of the sole parent and i do most of the decision making and then the rest of you are support you know which is how some people choose to do it mm -hmm. is it something where while the person who is carrying the child is pregnant that they expect everyone else is going to support that person, mm. you know? And these are all things where I've seen people get into trouble because everyone came to the decision, just kind of assuming everyone else is on the same page, you yeah. know, and then having to figure it out after the fact. So I would really encourage, you know, just kind of plan more than you think that you got to plan or ask more questions than you yeah. think that you should question as, as far as figuring out how to divide up, not just the legal responsibility for raising a child, but also just the day-to-day -day personal responsibility and how we feel about being co-parents, essentially. Um, and then second to that, uh, since none of us are parenting experts, <laughs> or right? parents, right. Not, yeah. unless, not unless y'all haven't told me something <laughs> yet. That would um, be very strange. Yeah, we're not parenting experts. Not, uh, none of us have had to make this specific negotiation, at least not yet, um, and don't really have intentions to, but who knows. Um, I would really recommend checking out the writings of Jessica Bird, B-U-R-D-E. She wrote a book called The Polyamorous Home. You can find it on Amazon. It's literally less than $5 for the ebook version um, on her blog, which is polyamoryonpurpose.com. She also has a lot of blog posts about navigating these kind of things, not only navigating polyamory and pregnancy and child rearing, but also navigating cohabiting with multiple partners, as well as navigating things like mental illness and all kinds of stuff like that. So she's usually the resource that I send people to because she actually has much more real world experience with yeah. these mm -hmm. things more so than yeah. we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know for myself, just I was born out of wedlock to a mother who was very much like, I do not want anyone else involved in the child rearing mm -hmm. and I want to do it all by myself. But I will say that like having other figures in my life that were very strong adults was incredibly beneficial to my like upbringing and just my, you know, the way in which I have evolved as a human and so mm -hmm. I do think that in the grand scheme of things, if it works and if it goes well and if people are on the same page, then for the child, it's incredibly beneficial to have not just two parents or not just one parent, but a, a variety of people around them that are really like strong, lovely role models for not only like awesome non-monogamy and awesome like 
and changing the scope of what relationships mm-hmm. look like, but also just like good people in a kid's life as they're growing up. Mm-hmm. So I, I would encourage and hope that like if people are getting into it, that they look to the positives of, of th- those possibilities. Because to yeah. me, I'm like, sometimes I do think, wow, what would it have been like had I had more than just one parent mm-hmm. really being the one who chose how I was raised? But having multiple people might have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read some of our comments that we've gotten. Yeah. Um, in the YouTube, someone is saying, if you choose to have kids first and then try to find a specific poly situation after, avoiding some of the practical hierarchy issues can become slightly harder. Mm. Uh, that is definitely true. It's funny because I was about to make the counterpoint, actually, that... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if you're interested in raising a kid with multiple parents, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I have to sit and wait until I find all the right people. Um, because we also know plenty of polycules where it's like the kids were around first and yeah. then, you know, mom and dad both started dating people who ended up becoming stable long-term figures and who almost became kind of like step parents mm. essentially, um, as far as their role in the child's life and in the rearing of the of the kids and that ended up working out really well but of course you know that's going to be up to the discretion of the people who already have the kid um so definitely some pros and cons there for sure um yeah i guess just to answer that too in terms of like practical hierarchy issues it's like well when you have a kid your practical hierarchy is that kid yeah right? yeah and, and that, that's where there's not that's, that's non-negotiable like, that's, that's not a problem. non-negotiable there yeah yeah and so i think that i think that's that's okay. I mean, if you're saying the practical hierarchy with the other parent of the mm. kid, yes, I, I get that. However, I think with everything we've been talking about, the practical hierarchy isn't the issue, right? Mm. That's just that's just a reality of like, you mm. got to be there for this kid. Yeah. And potentially other people might come along who will have more of those significant parenting roles for this kid. But at least at first, it's like, no, yeah, yeah, you're going to have a hierarchy about that. Same would be if you you know, had a a business partner, Mm. even if they're not a romantic partner too. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a certain hierarchy to decisions I make in a practical way. Yeah. But we're just talking about, it's a little different with that, um, you know, kind of a hierarchy where someone's getting to institute rules on someone else. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Not to go back into that whole conversation again, but. In our Facebook group, we have someone who's saying that there is some precedent for legal agreements of that nature for non-monogamous groups of people, at least here in California. Mm. And that is true. I believe the precedent that was set, there was a precedent set in California specifically for three adults to get legal parenting rights to a child. I remember that that case though, it, it wasn't like, a happy triad or like a happy V it was like a really unfortunately very dramatic and kind of terrible scenario if if I recall correctly this is the case that I'm thinking of is that it wasn't exactly like a nice situation but it is a precedent you know and since there is a legal precedent that does give some hope that it's like if there was a triad or a V or just three people who wanted to um get parenting rights for a child that maybe that could be used as some kind of legal recourse or leverage in the future, potentially. There have been a couple of cases in other countries though, where there has have been polyamorous uh, triads or maybe even quads or larger than that Mm. who have been awarded custody of a child together. Mm. Um, Not, not here in the U S that I'm aware of though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other places. That's that's an actual happy intentional triad and not more of a like, 
well, this was a step parent and then, but this was the partner who was actually around more in the child's life than the actual father or mother was, or it was more that type of a situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, but it is at least something to point to and be like, Hey, look, we did it for this. Mm -hmm. Why not do it in this situation where these people are all trying to support and make this child's life better. Right. Um, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So yeah, Nancy, I know that you're here in the Git Vocal. Do you feel comfortable popping into one of our slots so that you can ask your question? Our, our available slot. All right. Yeah, just hit grab this spot. Come on down, Nancy. <laughs> Emily, you're going to sing the prices right Come song on again? down. Got to keep going. Uh, I mean, it's just Good. like that over and over again. There they are. Hi there. Good to see you again. Good to see you. So please hit us with your question. So I didn't type it or copy it or else I'll try and remember it. Um, so I'll, exploring... I'm looking at it, so I'll quiz you on it. No. <laughs> I've, been, I've been exploring aromanticism because I realized that I identify that way. And what I've been kind of trying to figure out, I think in the past, when I look back at my old relationships, um, the people who are very, very romantic hmm. would not feel mutual like their expression of, of love toward me wouldn't get reciprocated, even though I was performing romance in some way. And hmm. um, I've been trying, like I'm identifying as solo polyamorous and relationship anarchist. And I feel like I have a lot to explain. And the explaining the aromanticism, I still don't feel like I have this handle on hmm. what can I negotiate that even with somebody? Can they even understand 
what it's like to not feel that way. And what it will be like not to get that reciprocated, even if I'm performing something to like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to hold your hand, but it doesn't feel the same way to me as it does maybe to somebody who's alloromantic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm like, I haven't, I've been trying, I've been dating, but it feels weird because I'm, I feel like I'm even performing romance doing that when I would rather be um, relating with my friend, like relating with people who I already trust. Mm. And yet like the path to, I feel desire, I feel attraction. I'm going to turn that into like a move. I'm still trying to map that out for myself. So I guess I just wanted to, to, to ask, cause I thought you all might have some valuable insights for me and maybe the group will of how to explain this in a way because I you know it's not a feeling for me that feeling of attraction is more like it's logistical in a lot of ways like I'm Mm. oh we fit or there's going to be some matches and I can see that that could work Mm. versus it being oh they're so hot I'm so excited I'm I'm so pulled towards that person right yeah I have like a billion clarifying questions that I want to ask um (laughs) No, because I love this question. So I guess the first question, gosh, let me see if I can make them not all jumbled up in my head. Uh, first one question being probably just a simple answer. Do you consider yourself allosexual? Yes. But aromantic? So I, I'll even get NRE that I have to slow down mm-hmm. once it starts, but the initial roman- romantic attraction doesn't happen in the same way as, or yeah, I don't even understand. I don't know what romance is. <laughs> well, that was okay. That was going to be kind of one of my follow up questions is because I think that, you know, aromanticism can show up very differently for different people. And so for you, is it, you know, is it along the lines of, you know, traditional expressions of romance towards someone? I'll do them, but they don't really you know, they don't got the juice like they do for other people. Hmm. Is it more the sense of like, sure, we can date and we can get close, but I'm not carrying these like super romantic notions of like, we're meant to be together or like, it's much more intense or much more important than like my friendships or like, you know, do you mind talking a little bit more about like how, you know, a romanticism kind of shows up for you? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've up to this point before identifying as a romantic, I, responded to other people's feelings of attraction more than I experienced them and moved myself. Mm. Um, and then I started go, saying, okay, well, I could actually want some, like figure out who I wanted to relate with and move, like just ask them. So being more direct, mm. um, I, I like showing care and having, but I like it when it's thoughtful and specific and it doesn't have to have a romantic um there's like this hook in romance that is gross to me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to give this to you so I can get it back. Interesting. I see. Gonna, Interesting. I'm going to give this to you because you want it. Hmm. I see. So is that something that really, you've bumped up against before with people? Yeah. I really try to give people what they want when I'm relating with them. And it puzzles me when they don't try and give me what I want, you know, hmm. Um, and then less like I was anti-marriage from the get-go I never like I was asking my mom the other day did I ever fantasize about being a bride and she's like princess yes bride no (laughs) (laughs) yeah because I wanted to be in charge (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) right 
So, uh-huh. yeah. I guess, and I have just my last question yeah. and then I'll, I'll let y'all weigh in on this. I guess my last question is you said something along the lines of what I'd rather be doing is connecting to a friend that I trust or friends that I trust. And I'm kind of curious to know a little bit more about that. Is it the kind of thing where when you're in a new relationship, it just feels better for you to be more intimate with friends where the relationship's already established or like kind of how does that show up for you? It's much more like the NRE feels false. Mm. Like I don't know this person actually well enough to want to be with them. And I have all these chemicals and I'm, and then the, and then the NRE wears off and then I don't really like them at all. Hmm. And I'd much rather be relating with somebody I know I like, and I know I want to spend time with already. But then once I'm friends with somebody, I have, I'm changing this now, but I have tended not to try and initiate anything after friendship is established. Uh, So. Yeah. See, sometimes I feel that way, but I thought that that was just me being jaded. (laughs) 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 That's what I thought that was. What do y'all think? Well, I mean. I thought I thought I was dated too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that what what you hit on there is really interesting. That thing of like, once someone becomes a friend, then it kind of stops pursuing anything else. Yeah, and I wonder the difference yeah. between the two. I guess a little bit, like especially from a relationship anarchy standpoint, like can a person be a friend and still potentially also move in a direction that is not romantic, but something else yeah something and is there a differentiation there i i I was i think i'm willing and if somebody started expressing interest towards me i couldn't tell what that if that's romantic or not like all of these distinctions are relatively new so i can't go Mm. you know i have to go back and look at it retrospectively rather than being something i can say i think i've tended to fall into nre and then perform romance and then have that fail and the relationship ends or a you know couple of good times it's we've moved on past the NRE and but if the hard thing the feel the thing that feels heartbreaking to me is that somebody would express romance and I wouldn't necessarily like I would perform something back but it wouldn't necessarily have that matched feeling and then they I, I feel like they give up and then mm-hmm. I give up right. and then mm-hmm. we're having like cohabiting where neither of us are doing anything romantic or like the whole way in which we exchange love starts to fade. And of course I'm, I also was living with people. So mm. that was bad for me. Cause I'm solo, you know, like yeah. right. I really mm-hmm. figured out that I can't live with people. Right. Yeah. So. I guess what comes to mind for me, I don't know if this is necessarily the solution or not, but I'm wondering, it's like, what are the behaviors that, maintain intimacy with a close friend that don't feel like performing romance. And I'm wondering if that's like, if that's kind of like your strong suit, you know, and I'm wondering if it's something along the lines of like, maybe even having a boundary for yourself or checking yourself before you get into the, like the, the weird, like performing romance mode. And maybe it's just more of a shift of like, this is how I know that I can invest in love in you, this person that I'm getting to know and that I'm getting to be more intimate with, you know, that's separate from what feels like performing romance. And I don't know what the difference is between those two things for you, but I'm wondering if it might be something like that. I don't know. What do the two of you think? 
I mean, yeah, I was going to go kind of along with the relationship anarchy sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I was explaining relationship anarchy to some coworkers actually like a year ago or something. And I was kind of talking about how you can have, you know, sexual relations with someone and you can have romantic connections and you can have friendships with someone and you could have each of those pieces individually and that one doesn't have to come with another. And their question was, I forget, you know, one of them asked me the question, they're like, but like, what does being romantic like, what's the difference between being romantic and being friends? That's my question. If you take away the sex and touching. Yeah. And, and not just sex, but but also, you know, kissing or, or holding hands. And I was sort of like, yeah, you're right. It's like the, <laughs> the ideas that we place upon it, which I think is in essence what you're saying, is that like these performative things are more what we place on romantic relationships rather than it just being like a little bit more maybe genuine when you get into friendships. It's like, I'm with you. I think you're awesome. And we're together in that capacity simply because, you know, we relate to each other on that level. Not like, well, I think maybe something cool and sexual and fun and funny will be here. So I'm going to get into that with you (laughs) and be performative about it. That's, you just brought up a lot of things that were really fascinating and, and make me question like, yeah, how I've related to people in the past and if there really needs to be a difference there. Yeah. 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 What, what I will say though, is the challenge with that. And and you, you may have faced this already mm-hmm. is that say you went about the whole thing differently and instead the pitch as it were <laughs> to other people is, Hey, I'm looking for, uh, you know, really good friends who I can be sexual with. And, you know, because those are the pieces that that make sense and that feel honest and true for you. The challenge with that is that while, like, as as you've seen, it's kind of hard to get your mind there about it. And you're being very intentional and putting effort into that. For a lot of people who don't put that effort in, you end up in situations where you're kind of you can get taken for granted or someone's like, yeah, cool. But then as soon as something else that fits more of the like romantic model comes along, it's like, well, bye. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do think that's a challenge and it's definitely something to be aware of. It's not so simple. It's just like, yeah, just throw out the romance thing and you're fine as, as you've experienced. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, it, but that still could be a place to start that conversation about like, Hey, I know that being with me is going to look kind of different than being with someone else but maybe that's a way of describing what that could look like with the caveat of like, but that does mean commitment to me in terms of like, I want a friend I can trust. Isn't just going to leave me as soon as someone else comes along. Yeah. Yeah, We can stop having sex if that's not going to work for you anymore. But like, Quitting your friendship because we're not having sex is not the kind of friend I want. Like, totally. Right. Let's not abandon yeah. the whole situation yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it might be really interesting for me to stop performing romance thinking that it will convey mm. my care. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that like if I, if I actually was just like, this is how I show my care and I do genuine things, maybe maybe performing romance that I didn't feel was actually a problem. Yeah. 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 yeah maybe the two one. things are a little bit more linked than one previously thought. I don't know. Yeah, like it was sending this message. Like I didn't actually feel it. I didn't love them. I didn't like, mm. they could feel that it was an inauthentic action. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then maybe finding the things that are genuine for you 
right. might ironically make them feel more loved when the things right. you thought you were doing to make them feel loved didn't were less like genuine. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, I don't, yeah. Work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe people are a lot, uh, awesome. a lot more savvy at seeing through that than, <laughs> than we, <laughs> than we give them credit for. Yeah. 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 Uh, Quite possibly. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you very much, Nancy. Yeah, we that was really fascinating. Your bravery and coming on the show. Um, yeah. We will send you. What are we going to send, Nancy? A pin, I think. If you yeah. want, yeah, we'll send some some exclusive multi-amory merch yes. as a thank you for your courage. And yeah, we'll see you around the patron group. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. So for those of you that have just tuned in, we are live streaming on Get Vocal. We are also live streaming on YouTube Live. If you go to our Multiamory channel, you can see that video. We are pushing to Facebook Live. We're also running a little watch party in the private <laughs> Facebook little patron group. Party. And so yeah. basically where we're at, we have time for about one more question we may do a bonus question. Um, I'm going to drop in our question submission link into the watch party and also into the get vocal so that if there's anyone who is currently watching us, you can still submit your question. Maybe it'll be our last question of the evening. I don't know if you're lucky. So I'm going to drop that <laughs> link in. And I thought that this question from Corn um, in our list here was really yeah. interesting. Someone yeah. want to yeah, read that? It. No, read it. Oh, well, I'm dropping in links to stuff. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it. Okay, here's the question. Is, quote, ethical non-monogamy actually mononormative? Hmm. Why do we frame ethics around our partners consenting to us having multiple relationships? Isn't our ethical obligation met by disclosing the information needed for our partners to make their own informed autonomous decisions? So let's, I think we need to kind of parse this out here. Yeah. Our ethical obligation met by disclosing the information needed for our partners to make their own informed autonomous decision. Well, I think my entry point to this is something that's been a little bit of a pet peeve of mine for... You're going to take my thing? About the consent thing? Oh, no. Okay. Different thing. Okay. Different thing. Good. Um, (laughs) The thing that's kind of gotten under my skin is it's like, okay, so the word consent. Yes. Good word. Mm. Consent. Good thing. Yes. Consent. Got to have consent in our relationships, in our interactions. Yes. We love consent. I have seen that word kind of commandeered in certain situations where it's more about like, well, I didn't consent to you going on that date on Friday night Mm. as opposed to Thursday night. And and it reminds me of it because this specific this question specifically asked, like, why do we frame ethics around our partners consenting to us having multiple relationships? Um, and I do think it gets a little bit tricky. Like, I know the thing that bothers me about a statement like that is that it's like, well, consent is something that it's like you kind of give within your own realm of influence, I feel, and within your own boundaries. And of course we could get into an argument for three hours about the semantics of that, yeah. but mm-hmm. just roll with me here for a second. Um, and so it does feel weird to me when people are like, like I consented or didn't consent to this thing that this other person is going to do with their body and their time and, you know, their autonomy. That does feel weird where it doesn't necessarily feel autonomous or necessarily ethical. That feels more like it's a different reframing of like, hey, I'm pissed that like, you scheduled a date for Friday without asking me first, or, Hey, I didn't give you permission to take this, you know, date on Friday in more extreme, maybe less healthy versions. So 
I feel like it starts to get into that a little bit where, where I feel like that usage of the term consent or consensual starts to get a little bit odd because it starts to get more associated with permission or allowance or things like yeah, that. And they're not what do you the think, same. Emily? Yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. It's interesting because I've always thought of like ethical non-monogamy and that those words as just not necessarily that one is consenting to their partner doing anything or like being with other people, but rather just that like, that's a decision that all parties together have made, and they are aware of it. And that's like, it. And simply that like, they'd make a decision because those decisions as, you know, individuals and as partners are going to be specific to them, but not necessarily that it's like, well, I'm, I'm okay with you doing x, y, or z, but rather that like, that's the kind of relationship structure I want to be in. And it, if you want to be in that kind of relationship structure, then that's awesome. Then we're compatible. And then we're going to be doing this together. But I've, I don't know. I've never thought of it. I guess I've just never even like looked at the word consensual as like a part of that. But it is obviously a part mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. when we speak about consensual non-monogamy. Were like, you, did you have something? I do, but go ahead. Uh, well, I was just like okay there's there's two things one is just real quick i think that something that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is the difference between the terms ethical non-monogamy and consensual non-monogamy yeah and i think that the question here seems like it could apply to either of those um maybe slightly differently um and basically i personally prefer the term consensual non-monogamy because the point of it is that everyone is consenting that this isn't being forced upon anyone in the situation um, rather than ethical non-monogamy, which is this question of like, well, what does ethical mean? Just that like, people that's... are aware and that you're not doing it. You're not doing it like in an adulterous fashion or whatever. Sure. But that's what I mean is that ethical though is, is debatable because ethics is a whole thing. People well, have sure. different questions yes, about. Whereas... You can major on it in college. <laughs> right. Whereas to me, consensual is, you know, obviously it's something people can still debate, this is but a I feel like, question. but I feel like consensual yeah. is a little bit more of just like someone's consenting to be in this situation or not. Mm-hmm. Now to get to this question though, which is a little bit different. I've personally, and maybe this comes to, if you, if you use the thing of like, well, this couple is consensually non-monogamous or, or like my partner lets me be ethically non-monogamous, then yeah, I could see that being a little mononormative and you know, the media does that a lot, right? Where it's like this, it's always a polyamorous couple, maybe a throuple, but it's always multiple people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rather <laughs> Emily just threw up a little in her mouth yeah sorry uh, for all y'all out there who like the word throuple we just don't as much yeah Yay. um but I like I, I think that if you think of it instead of ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy is something that each person in that relationship is doing I think that is a little different because then it's not like I'm non-monogamous because my partner says it's okay mm-hmm. but it's I'm ethically or consensually non-monogamous because everyone I have a relationship with is consenting to be in that relationship with knowledge. Like they're giving informed consent to be in the relationship rather than them giving consent for me to be in other relationships. It's like they're giving informed consent 
for themselves to be in the relationship with me. Does yeah, that make sense? I know that's like a, a it, fine distinction. It but. is. But yeah, I agree with you in the sense that like it needs to be an autonomous personal choice rather than it being like, I give consent for you, someone else, to be doing this thing. Yeah. And I think that is the distinction and where the mononormativity may come into play when it's the latter rather than the former. So I, yeah, I would encourage people to even look at it in that way to be like, hey, this is a decision I personally am making for myself rather than like I'm with a partner and they want to become non-monogamous and so I'm going to allow it. Because I think that's how a lot of them, a lot of things start. Yeah, and true. the best place to be in, quite frankly, is when you want to do it yourself, and when it's a decision that you both make for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the kind of thing where, gosh, like freaking everything in this world, <laughs> people can take words and weaponize them, and people yeah, can take concepts true. and weaponize yeah. them because. As I'm sure most of us know, it's quite possible to be very unethical in the way you practice, quote unquote, ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. You know, it can be a sense of like, well, it's ethical because, you know, I informed my partner that I'm talking to this other person by completely violating this third person's privacy and showing all my text messages to my partner. Mm. But that's, but we were ethical with each other, you know, yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And consensual yeah. with each other and that we've consented that I'm going to show you this person's text messages without their consent, you know, and yeah. so like stuff like that comes up all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, so yeah, I think, so let's see someone in the, I have way too many tabs <laughs> open. Um, Someone in the watch party uh, said, I think you may be saying that consent is typically applied to a specific situation rather mm. than blanket consent to a range of situations. Um, yeah, I think I'd agree with I'd agree with that. Right. I mean, in the definition, like the, the Fry's definition of consent. Yes. Right. It is like more part specific. of it is that it's yeah. specific. Yeah. 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 So that is also using the word consent is maybe a little tricky here because if you're talking about it in the context of like specific physical acts with another person, yes. or, then it's a little different from the way it's used in consensual non-monogamy. Yeah. I guess so that's why that yeah, ENM yeah. mm. I've been more like inclined to use rather than CNM. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, for that purpose. And, and also just because it's looking at like ethics from a broader scale, like what does ethical mean to me and how can I implement that into my life rather than mm-hmm. like, I'm consenting to you and me doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I just made a rhyme. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, it's like, I think that of again, using consent, not in that, like this is for a specific act, but like anyone who's in a relationship with me actually gets all the knowledge that they need to consent to being in that relationship mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, really. As a, you know, honestly, we are every moment of every day, either deciding to be in that relationship or not. Absolutely. But that it is a little more of a proactive and like, I'm not hiding things so that you have sort of aware consent about whatever you do with me, being in your relationship with me as much as possible. Whereas I think of ethical non-monogamy is more like always the goal to strive for. Of like being the most ethical person you can be and doing it in the most ethical way. And so I guess I like CNM more for like in a scientific way of like defining this whole category of thing. Cause to mm-hmm. me, it's like the definition is it's not monogamous and that everyone in it is aware and consents to it. Yeah. Like consents for themselves to be part of it. Uh, like, and so for me, that's like, it's technical. It's more of a definition. Whereas ethical non-monogamy for me is more like 
yeah, let's all be striving for ethical, whatever kind of relationship, ethical monogamy or, or ethical non-monogamy. But it's like a little bit less of a scientific definition. Mm, At least that's, that's mm -hmm. how I've kind of approached the two. Yeah. We do have a question in the watch party asking if one of the partners does not want to disclose new sexual partners, is that still consensual or ethical? Well, <laughs> if one of the partners does not want to disclose that they are non-monogamous, no, disclose new sexual partners. Oh. Is it still consensual or ethical? Um, I would say that that's the, potentially uh, specific. I, I would say to yes, them, but if that's part of the thing your other partners are consenting to, correct. Right. If right. it's like the level of information, I'm fine not knowing when you have new sexual partners. Just tell me every three months or every six months when you get tested, like what your results are and then i'm right. fine like if that's what we've all kind of agreed yeah we're on board with that level of information then mm -hmm. or maybe sure. you have other agreements about specific sexual health practices or things like yeah. that whatever it is for you but i think that would be okay if it's i mean like for example i don't have to know the second that dedeker has sex with someone new yeah. like that's not not something i've been like I have to know before it happens or, or anything like that. Some people in the act of right? no. yeah. some people, some people do feel that way. And for me, I don't, if she continued to like, keep the fact that she had new relationships at all from me, that would, that would be, be weird. weird. Yeah. And I'd be like, something's wrong here. Yeah. Um, but if, if it were like, Hey, you know, I have other partners, I don't feel comfortable sharing that with you. Or maybe my other partners don't feel comfortable with me telling you their names or whatever it is. That's something I could still consent to with knowledge, as long as you are being upfront with that information. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's still possible. Do, do you, I mean, shoot, shoot holes in that if you think there's holes to be shot. <laughs> I'm curious. Nancy said something, which I think was interesting. Yeah, read it. I, uh, in relationship anarchy, we talk about disclosing risk levels versus detailed partner information for privacy reasons. Disclosing that a new partner exists and whether there are new STI risks seems important to me. However, I think I want to, the option to disclose or not, depending on the people's privacy requests. Yeah, yeah. that makes sure. sense. Yeah. But makes I think sense. similarly, like if that's your stance on it, all of your partners need to know that that's where you stand. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think as long as that, that's enough to be informed consent, unless for them it's not. And then mm -hmm. it's their informed not consent, which is also fine, right? Like, just because you do a relationship a certain way, it doesn't make it right. And therefore everyone's going to be okay with it. That might not be compatible for some people. And that's okay too. That's sort right. of the beauty of consent is that no is also an answer that's mm -hmm. acceptable and good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, everybody. We would love to know if this kind of live episode is something that you'd like to do again. Um, you know, is this something that interests you? And and then what do you think about these questions? If you weren't able to tune in live and comment live while this is going on, the best place where you can share your thoughts about this episode or your desire for a new one is in this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. To get access to that, you can go to patreon.com slash multiamory and become one of our patrons there. Or you can also share with us commenting on the YouTube video, or you can post publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to let us know what you think about this episode. You can also call us at our phone number, 678-M-U-L-T-I-05, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. 
Multi-Amory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our, um, I don't have the document in front of me. I'm trying to do it from memory. Dang, our, yeah, our uh, <laughs> editor is Mauricio Balvanera. Right, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Uh, the full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Yay! I wish I had a teleprompter. Yay. Yeah, we do need one. Thanks, Yay. everyone. You did well. Thank you, everyone who participated. Thank you for to everyone who submitted your questions. My apologies to those of you where we couldn't get to your questions. We'll try to get to them next time, or you might have to hit us up the next time around. Thank you to everyone who tuned in on YouTube, on Facebook, and all the platforms. Thank you to all of our patrons who are in the watch party and who are supporting us. Um, if you want to be able to submit your questions, come up on stage for the next time. We can send you a little bit of merch as a thank you. Be sure to go to patreon.com slash multiamory so that you can be prepped for the next one. Woo! Alright, that was All great. Right. See ya. Bye, Bye everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.